year 1462, Constantinople had fallen. Muslim Turks swept into Europe with a vast superior force, striking at Romania, threatening all of Christendom. From Transylvania arose a Romanian knight of the Sacred Order of the Dragon, known as Dracula. <coughs> the children of But that Japanese whiskey made everything better. But sometimes, you know, people say things and it sticks. And I remember her saying she didn't like Dracula because she didn't like the uh, writing style. It's not as deliberate as the Silmarillion, but it is deliberate. You're going to cut that out too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll probably cut that out too. God is essentially forgiving a person who has mercilessly killed people throughout the film and who fed a baby to his brides. This is a perversely immoral act, and I, I don't think that it's something that should be celebrated. That's bullshit. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max, and audience, this is take two of our Dracula episode, which will be a late Halloween episode. And I lament that this is take two, but there were technical difficulties that I probably was a, that were the my fault, I'm quite sure. But we lost maybe the most brilliant film discussion that has ever been had in any medium on any form after our episode ended last night there was no recording of the episode and so we lost that so i apologize for that this is take two i also apologize for last week not getting an episode out uh there were travels there was my own personal horror story to be had needless to say audience i slayed the monsters that i needed to slay and i'm back and ready to edit podcasts and have movie discussions uh hopefully this time that get recorded. Uh, I see the dot that says recording. I know I hit the button that says recording to this computer. So everything should be as it should be. Yes. This is the way. Last night, Jason and I had a discussion about 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula, sometimes simply Dracula, directed by the great Francis Ford Coppola, based on the novel by Bram Stoker, with a screenplay by James V. Hart, starring, uh, for the second time audience, for us, first time for you, Gary Oldman as Dracula. Winona Ryder as Mina Murray and the wife of Dracula from way back in the day. Anthony Hopkins as Professor Abraham von Helsing. Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, Valley Boy interpretation. Richard E. Grant, the greatest Loki, as Dr. Jack Seward. Carrie Elways as Lord Arthur Homeward. Home, home, Homewood. Billy Campbell as Quincy P. Morris. Sadie Frost as Lucy Westerna. And Tom, Tom Waits as R.M. Renfield. The brides of Dracula bear mentioning here. They are quite effective as beautiful, erotic tools of Dracula. The one you'll recognize right away, Monica Bellucci as Dracula's Bride, Florina Kendrick as Dracula's Bride, and Michelle Bercou as Dracula's Bride. The latter two did not do anything substantive with their film career, but Monica Bellucci went on to do all kinds of wonderful things and sometimes quite controversial things. Uh, Jason, I have rambled through this vast production uh, minutia. What do you have to say so far? (laughs) Well, uh, um, I guess that, you know, to again repeat what was said just last night uh, as Max mentioned this film was directed by Francis Ford Coppola this was his first project after completing The Godfather Part 3 it, it was a project that was presented to him apparently the screenplay by James V. Hart um, had been floating around which by the way um, I didn't know this last night when we recorded but I but I'll, so I'll mention it now you got to do extra research <laughs> sorry uh, well, well yeah I mean I, I stumbled a- across this 
I think a lot of people know, certainly Coppola fans or Godfather fans know, that Winona Ryder was originally supposed to play Michael Corleone's daughter in The Godfather Part 3. And she had a conflict and had to bow out, which is what famously caused Coppola to cast his daughter, who is often criticized for her performance. It's commonly said that she's a much better director and writer than she is a, a, a performer. But Winona Ryder did develop a relationship with Coppola and apparently was instrumental in in bringing this threat to Coppola. Oh, really? Okay. He might want to do. And Coppola, as so many of those directors from that time period, that that generation of these young maverick directors, Spielberg and, and, and Coppola and Lucas. The film school guys. And Scorsese, yes, the film school guys from the 60s who basically destroyed the the, the studio system that they loved so much that he loved did Coppola he loved the the old campy horror films he kind of relished the idea of making one and then also Coppola felt that this was an opportunity to finally do justice to the novel which is something that he was very aware uh had had not really been done so he did he did want to do justice to the novel he also wanted to bring to it a a new story element that was not in the novel but that was very important to him Coppola did extensive storyboarding regarding this film there were certain there was a certain visual feel that he wanted to capture so this is very much Coppola really did pour himself into this this is something that he was very excited about doing uh, he was very excited to work with this cast he was very excited to work with the story that that he loved so much and he was very excited to kind of play with the concept of filmmaking and and, and to utilize traditional methods because this film in 1992 computer animation did exist but it was very much in its infancy and he specifically only wanted to use practical effects uh, in making this film. So the result was released in 1992. It was a successful film and we're going to say what we think about it uh, in retrospect now. Indeed, indeed. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, this is a hot cast. I mean, uh, Gary Oldman was somebody people like to look at. Uh, Winona Ryder was somebody who was just hitting the scene. Keanu Reeves was was uh, an exciting presence. Carrie Elways had probably, you know, was still hot from his turn in Princess Bride. Billy Campbell was a, I mean, there's a lot of these leading man material type people. Billy Campbell, for instance. Uh, Richard Grant, not so much. Uh, I mean, he's sort of a character actor uh, and always has been, but he's he's delightful in this in this movie. Now, it's interesting you've said uh, that Coppola has these twin visions of making a Hammer-esque film, uh, which, is a, which is a production company that made horror films that were quite campy sometimes. He also comes from, like, a lot of these film school guys that, that Jason just talked about, uh, may, maybe with the exception of George Lucas, cut their teeth directing Roger Corman quickie films, you know, where the whole goal is come in under budget and be on time so we can get this film out the door. Right. And the Corman school almost is a, is this like a finishing program for directors, right? They learn how to, how to do everything that you need to be able to do on a set. And I know Francis Ford Coppola uh, directed one of the more famous of the, of the Corman film school guy movies, which well, I started Jack Nicholson. I think it was one of the Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. I think I'd have to look it up, but. Sidebar. 
Francis Ford Coppola worked for Roger Corman's American International Pictures and did several pieces of work for the studio. Notably, he was the co-director on the Jack Nicholson feature, The Terror, and he helped out with a film called Tower of London and shot some new scenes for a Russian sci-fi entry called Battle Beyond the Sun. And he was the director of... AIP's thriller Dementia 13, which was something about axe murderers, and I've never seen it. But that's where Francis Ford Coppola sort of cut his teeth and earned his directing chops. So into the sidebar. We've had this problem before, and sometimes it works out better, but it's almost like Coppola is trying to take every iteration of Dracula and put it in one film, including the novel, which I know you have some praise for his attempt to bring the novel to the to the screen, to the big screen. Yes. Would you would you discuss a little bit about how that's successful here? We'll get into his editions, the bookends of the novel that he gives the the movie. But well, yeah. so to to you know, give some information, I, I've always been a fan of Dracula. I grew up watching Dracula movies, the older ones, and and reading about Dracula. It was not until high school that I actually purchased a copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula from the local bookstore and read it in high school and really fell in love with it. It, it actually, it, it tickled my imagination. Uh, it was actually, it was probably one of the first novels that I read where I really felt like I could imagine the castle. I could imagine all of the interiors, so to speak. Um, it was a very visual experience for me. I'm not sure people have that experience in reading Dracula by Bram Stoker, but I did. And so it was a very special experience for me. And I was very interested at that time about how there were so many characters in the book that were often not represented in in film adaptations. I was very interested in the fact that uh, there were events that were sometimes changed, sometimes not changed. It depends on the movie that you're watching. When I first saw this movie, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, I was very excited about it because I... I was, after finishing the book, which I had read not long uh, before this movie came out, I was very interested in seeing just how accurate it would be. And I had I had the idea of all these characters in my mind. And when I saw this film, I was very impressed with how much from the novel is imported in, or, uh, into this movie and, and done so in a very accurate way. There are other things that have nothing to do with the novel. And that, that, was, a, that was an immediate concept conflict for me at the time. Yes, I, I remember. Uh, we'll get in. Jason and I have been discussing this movie since the late 90s. One of the things that I also like about what Coppola does, Bram Stoker's Dracula is considered an epistol- uh, epistolary, epist- how do you pronounce this word? The epistolary novel. An epistolary novel? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a, a novel, it's a story told in fragments of people's perception. It's almost Rashomon-like, which is interesting too because there are some Kurosawa elements elements of, of the cinematography in this film but it is kind of intriguing because this is the way the novel actually builds some suspense and and causes the reader to construct this the narrative from little pieces of the story that we're getting from different perspectives from people's diaries from newspaper articles from uh, letters that people are writing to one another we don't get like long chapters of narrative by a omniscient narrator right now that's not how this story is told but there is a lot of letter writing to each other 
we do see uh, diary entries, captain's journals that sort of describe in voiceover what's going on in the novel. And I and I didn't notice this at the time because I didn't realize that that's what kind of novel this was. But watching it now, I do appreciate Copeland at least pays some lip service to that to that the, to the nature of the novel in that way. Yes. So in 1992, I saw this with a friend of mine named Chastity. Had a great time watching it. I quite liked the film in 1992. I was very intrigued by this gothic romance that, that Coppola creates almost out of whole cloth because it's not in the novel where the origin of Dracula is he's he's Vlad the Impaler. He's a champion of Christendom. He defends Christendom only and, and comes home only to find that his wife who's been tricked by the enemy into thinking that he's dead, she commits suicide and a, a priest says, oh, you can't ever see her again. You won't see her in heaven because she committed suicide. Side. And then this is this leads to Dracula inviting the curse of vampirism on himself because he, he rejects God. He pulls a Salieri, I think, from uh, Amadeus. From now on, we are enemies. You and I. Because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy. And give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I swear it. This is this is how he ends up becoming cursed to live forever and drink the blood of other other people. And his wife, of course, will pop up in uh, what we what we're to assume is the reincarnated version of his wife pops up in London in the film. And so there's this this romance where Dracula sees his dead wife, the woman who who he threw away everything for. And I was very taken with this romance of Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder, who don't necessarily have the greatest chemistry in the movie, but Winona Ryder does a lot of heavy lifting in these scenes I think but I was taken by that and the other thing and I liked that the other thing I loved about the film and continue to love about the film is the technical mastery of filmmaking that it that it demonstrates the if if it was just like a primer on how to make great scenes uh, you know uh, that sticks out to me even to this day this is just a it's a glorious film to look at stylistically it succeeds at a very high level visually yes let me <laughs> before 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 you jump in I, I want to I want to give a shout out to the costume director. I did this last night too, but I want to do it again because the costume designer, Eiko Ishioka-san, is so good. Her costumes, I don't know if it's period perfect. It's certainly not in the 1500s because uh, it's almost all samurai-ish armor, right? But even those costumes, while they're not period perfect, are evocative and intriguing and arresting. And, every, and all the other costumes, the palette she uses is just really extraordinary. I think that Ishioka deserves so much credit for the success of this film. The film is a visual marvel. There's no doubt about that. But in that sense, there's something about this movie that actually suggests Tim Burton to me. Visually successful, but narratively problematic. And and I guess, you know, I haven't mentioned my initial reaction. I, I started to, and then I waited for you to, to weigh in. The gothic romance that Max mentioned that he was so taken, taken with turned me off completely. Uh, at the time because as max 
Max mentioned, it's not in the book. And to me, it was a distraction. And at the time, I couldn't get past it. And so my initial reaction to the film was very, very, very mixed. The things that were like the book, I was in awe of. I was in I was in awe of the visuals, as as Max just, just mentioned. I, I To this day, I don't dispute any of that. But the gothic romance was very much a problem for me. In all the times that I've seen this movie since, I've tried to get past it because this is a movie that I have wanted to love. I have wanted to like this movie because it really is one of the more accurate versions of the novel. And I have always been waiting for this kind of perfect version of Dracula uh, of the novel that I could finally say this is the definitive version. And I've never been able to say that about this film. And I, I, I felt that the romance, the gothic romance that which Max referred, was my biggest stumbling point. And every time that I watch it, I think this is the time I'm going to get over that and this movie is finally going to get to me and I'm finally going to see what everybody else seems to see. Instead, every time that I watch it, I find more problems. And I think that that's what I'm going to talk about and I think uh, Max will have a chance to weigh in as well. And so so, so that that definitely, I haven't really, I haven't watched this movie uh, uh, very often over the years. I've always liked it and I, but I never, I've never really gone back to it that often. Maybe once or twice over the years and so when we approached it Jason and I both anticipated that there were going to be some of the most dramatic fireworks that have ever gone off between us in this show but yep but what happened is I sort of, I've sort of like walked my road of Damascus here and kind of came out more on Jason's side on this because, so I'm watching this film and one of our heroes, Jonathan Harker, played by Keanu Reeves, whom Coppola really should have said, just speak like you do. Yeah. I don't know if the, the lessons of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves had yet to be learned throughout Hollywood about like not making people who can't do an accent. It was only the year before. So, so the so the lessons hadn't quite permeated where they needed to get to, and Count Reeves has to go to Transylvania to secure the real estate that Dracula wants to buy in London. Paperwork needs to be done, and it needs to be verified by a lawyer. There are so many beautiful film techniques that happen in this segment, and I was just marveling at how the the seduction of Jonathan Harker, the the trapping of Jonathan Harker in Transylvania, all of this is really good. There are neat plays of shadow shadows the the film does so much work to make dracula's castle this uneasy ethereal in all of the worst ways things can be weird i think the film uses all kinds of traditional wonderful techniques to do that but what i said in our previous discussion of this film was that like there comes a point where every scene seems like an excuse for coppola to be clever with the filmmaking as opposed to moving forward an interesting plot or necessarily getting great performances out of his actors. And this was the first time I watched the film and I noticed how much camp is in the movie. Yeah. I thought that Gary Oldman's performance was really quite original when I first saw it, but on this viewing, I kept I kept superimposing Bella Lugosi over him. Yeah. You know? And so this was the first time I thought it's too much. It's too much. Even though everything you're doing is perfect, it starts to draw the the serious vampiric horror 
element, the gothic horror tale, I keep getting knocked out of sometimes by by the fact that sometimes Coppola's drifting, not drifting, just embracing camp. Well, but absolutely. And and actually, I, I don't think that I made this point until late in our discussion uh, in take one, but, uh, but I'll make it now that I think part of the problem is Coppola worked very hard to channel the visual style of F.W. Murnau, who was the silent movie director who did Nosferatu in 1922 and who really created a series of striking images. But I feel like that Co- that Coppola was so intent on shooting a silent movie that is based on frightening images and, and exaggerated performances that he forgot that he was making a sound film, that he <laughs> forgot that he was making a talkie. And the film suffers for that. You know, I mean, right now we're talking about some of the early scenes. This is a problem throughout, though, that th- there's very little contrast in the in the movie. The film is never subtle. And visually, in terms of, in terms of production design and in terms of costumes, that's fine. The problem is it's not just that. It's also in the in just the blocking of the scenes. In some of the scenes in Castle Dracula in Transylvania, there's the famous scene where Harker is shaving and he has his uh, his shaving his looking glass, his shaving glass, and Dracula comes up behind him. He doesn't see the reflection and he's startled, cuts himself, and Dracula is very attracted to the blood that he sees. This scene is in the movie. It's almost beat for beat right from the book. But the problem is, is that when Dracula uh, comes over to Harker, he floats over to him. And one of the things that I remember from the book, and and forget the book for a second. If if I was making a Dracula film, I I would want Dracula to be tripping over himself to seem normal to Jonathan Harker because he's manipulating him. He's trying to get Harker, you know, in these early exchanges, he, he's not closed the trap yet. He's not really telegraphed to Harker that he's that Harker's not going to leave. There's no way Harker's going to leave. And that Dracula totally has control of every move that Harker makes. In the early scenes in the novel, Dracula is just the perfect gentleman. That's not what's done here. What's done here is we have this character who looks hide- uh, hideous, and I don't mean that as a criticism in terms of the makeup design. I mean, it, it, it is a brilliant makeup design, but it's not subtle. And so therefore, I think that a lot of these scenes fail to capture the the subtle manipulation that Dracula was doing that then in, in, in the films that are done well, or these scenes where these scenes are done well, and in the book, there's kind of this slow realization on Harker's part that, oh, I'm not going to be allowed to leave. This guy's not really, I, I, I thought he was weird. Now I know that he's dangerous. Dracula seems dangerous from the instant that Harker arrives. It's- it's true. There's, there's no build to the trap. There was a way in which they could have built the unease. There's this technique in filmmaking called dutching where a director will tilt the angle of the the camera and shoot from an odd angle to kind of create a sense of unease or discomfort in the viewer. And Dracula basically begins the dutching process like the moment anyone enters his castle, right? A normal person of Victorian bent would have hightailed it right out of Dracula. Dracula's castle after the first papers were signed. I'll stay at an Airbnb. Thank you very much. This place is too weird. Like he uncorks a, a, a perfume bottle and the drops float up. And when he rides into the castle, he rides through these like these eldritch blue flames that, that seem to guard the gate, right? Right. And like this is not how you lure someone into a to a sense of normalcy. Different culture, sure. That would have been okay, but you don't you don't start hitting people up with the dark 
magic right away. Now, see, you mentioned the blue flame, and we did not mention that in the first uh, our first recording. Blue flame is in the book. Is it? Yeah. But but your your point is not wrong because you just mentioned that the blue flame is there when they pull up to the castle. In the book, they're they're riding. You know, there, there's this process where they're riding through the forest, and then suddenly there's a blue flame out in the woods, and the driver who Parker does not know is Dracula stops the the wagon and he gets out and just runs out into the woods leaving Harker by himself and he's just in terror and as it turns out this is like a Transylvanian superstition that when you see that blue flame uh, the legend is is that there's a treasure buried underneath it hmm. so it's very much in keeping with the you know the kind of ethnic superstition now see that's more what Harker would be expecting uh, you know these people they're not they're not English after all right and so but by having the blue flame right outside the castle it instead creates this this feeling that Harker's entering into this fun house that where, where, where there's all this supernatural stuff just exploding all around him yeah that, that seemed to emanate from Dracula or from the driver as opposed to, oh, well, those people, they they, uh, they believe all that kind of stuff. I don't, but they do. But 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 there's just there's just so many things that happen that are just over the top that Harker doesn't react to. And and there's enough that happens that's weird. In yeah. the, well, not like, having a collection, all of those things. But like you almost, um, when Dracula comes over to him, he kind of floats over to him. And you almost expect Harker to say, did, did you just float over here to me? <laughs> yeah, that would have been a great moment for if Jason Bateman had had been had been Jonathan Harker. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did, did you float? And Dracula would have said, "Did I?" You know, um, <laughs> very Arrested Development moment. But I mean, speaking of another over the top moment that I, I kind of liked, but I kind of thought was borderline campy when he gets picked up in the coach and the giant monster handed driver of the coach ushers him into the cabin, and it's almost like it picks him up. And puts him in the cabin because he doesn't step up. It's it's very much another one of those another one of those float into the into the cab of the the coach moments, which is not which is not a bad effect. The effect. Oh, it's a great effect. It's not that the effect doesn't work. It's that it interferes with the narrative. These early scenes never establish any kind of contrast. We for a good for an effective horror experience, we need Harker to have these moments of ease where he then loses that ease because then something weird happens that makes him really suddenly panic yeah and it's just even though even though these effects are beautiful and these visuals are beautiful viewing it i feel like that it's difficult for us to feel this false sense of trust that i think for it to be genuinely frightening we have to feel with harker we have to believe that he yeah maybe there's some unease because he's in the woods and it's nighttime and there's this guy's weird but there should not be just a um, floating supernatural experience after floating Floating supernatural yeah. in which it almost creates a feeling that, you know, I'd have been out of there long before then. Yes, yes. There's no moment at which Keanu Reeves' Harker ever betrays even the slightest bit of ease or trust with Dracula. Right. So that that sort of is something that you notice when you watch it. Um, and, and if you've read the novel, I, uh, audience, I've only read half the novel. I haven't finished it yet. Like you said, though, there's no effect in this film is bad. Right. No effect in this film is bad. Audience, Sadly, we don't have time to do a scene by 
scene. So Jason and I are going to jump around, uh, which is too bad. There's a lot to talk about with this film. And and one of the things that I also noticed this time, you mentioned Tim Burton and another, I think, technically fairly brilliant filmmaker who doesn't necessarily stick landings or the lead up to the landing. But he would be a great silent movie director. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that you talked about last night and that I really latched onto that if this had been a silent movie and with with a, a nice musical score with this musical score yes um, with text dialogue uh, below it like they would have done in an old silent film this film would maybe be one of the best Dracula films ever made I think yeah it, it, it would have accomplished exactly what F.W. Murnau who was very famous for being a very expressionistic uh, director with you know elaborate sets and, 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 and shocking visuals which work very well in a silent movie and Murnau was a genius at that and Coppola is literally literally just basically trying to imitate Murnau's style yeah I, I can't really say enough about the visuals I will not complain once about the visuals except to say that sometimes Coppola oftentimes he's guilty of being far too clever there is a moment of seduction in the film in this Harker segment where the brides seduce him that I think works really wonderfully and it works wonderfully even as it's channeling EC not EC horror that's a comic book but but uh, old universal horror tropes of mist being on everything and these women come uh, at at Jonathan Harker scantily clad seducing him and there's a moment where we see what they're doing to him on the bed but then we see his his viewing of the action in the mirror above the bed and there's none of the women are there obviously because they're they're vampires i i I mean i thought that even though this was like combining a lot of different elements of of vampire horror movie making i thought the scene was very well done it's really i mean in fact especially today in terms of where vampire mythology has gone visual vampire mythology has gone this might be the best scene in the movie because it was very it was very influential Influential on, I mean, not necessarily the, the, the books, but Interview with the Vampire, which was made the next year, two years after this, which is full of things like this. This is a very erotic scene. Uh, it's it's very, very effective. It, I, it, it might, maybe I don't want to say it's the best scene in the movie. It's the most innovative scene in the movie. I think actually this is a foundational visual vampire scene. Absolutely. And it works really well. Dracula, of course, comes and stops them from consuming his charge. He might need this person alive for a little while and and to sate them because they need to eat too um he gives them a baby and and so here's a moment where the where the film stumbles and it makes a lot of these kinds of stumbles where keanu reeves is tasked with reacting to this scene of the women eating the baby and it's hor- that moment is horrifying but his reaction of horror drove me right out of the film because it is almost his expression and his body language is almost straight from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and for some reason Coppola keeps cutting back to that valley kid what you know yeah, uh, so yeah no way you keep exactly like it, it wouldn't have been any more campy if he had done that or if he had been like dude that's not right and so so it just kind of threw me out this time and I don't think I noticed it in 92 but I mean Keanu Reeves is trying really hard but uh, you you lay a lot of these mis- mistakes like this at Coppola his feet and they, that's where they need to be because he had final cut he saw dailies he could have said we need to reshoot that reaction or you know we just need 
need to we need to have Keanu do something that he can do because this is a scene that doesn't flatter him as an actor, you know, and it doesn't serve his character by making me think he's lost a surfboard. Well, but, but I I wonder. I didn't I didn't say this last night, but I wonder if Coppola's problem here because Cop- Francis Ford Coppola is a is a magnificent director of actors. We know this from just the first, uh, actually all the Godfather films. I'll say that. Apocalypse Now, just go down the list. I mean, so, uh, his best moments are among the best moments that any director has ever had. Yep. I feel like that in making this movie, maybe he was so excited about the visual style that he that he actually forgot about how really solid acting and narr- that, that, that acting is such a part of narrative in terms of sticking the na- putting the narrative in the viewer's mind and bringing us along with the story. That I I feel like that many, not all, but I would argue most of the performers in this amazing cast are not directed well they they are most of them are are are, there's a chemistry problem which you mentioned but they're almost window dressing for the visual storytelling of this movie a movie that has a story to tell now you and i at that time and maybe even now disagree as to whether or not that story should be told in terms of the gothic romance okay i didn't like that in watching it this time i felt like okay look i need to accept this story and watch this movie and evaluate it as to whether or not it, it tells that story well. Is the story effective? Yeah. And I I would say that it isn't. No, I, I, I think I think the first couple of acts of the this gothic romance, I agree with you that it's not told well, and it baffles me because the elements are all fairly well spelled out. It's all very tractable. Up to this point, there are no real stolen bases in this mis- mythical, this mystical kind of gothic Victorian idea uh, of this romance. There is a giant stolen base later, but I thought that was all, I, I understood the romance, but because the chemistry is so poor between Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder. Who didn't it, like each other, who didn't get along. And, and and that may be what's showing through here, though I have to say, I, I buy Winona Ryder's performance in this, in this romance in a way that I don't necessarily buy his side of it. Oh, uh, um, by the way, I do have to qualify that because I know that Winona and Gary both listened to our podcast. They are friends now. Gotcha. Did not get along during the making of the film. Now, is this because they had different ideas about how they should be going about? No. No, Gary Oldman, when he made this film, was going through a rough time. He, he was going through a divorce. I believe there might have been some substance use. And he he was uh, he was difficult along with. He was very method. Yes, what you just said, uh, you know, a different vision of how it should go. I'm also aware that Coppola apparently, although I've heard, I did read this was disputed in some places, that Coppola allowed or, or tried to really use some methods to get, to get Winona Ryder upset by having the male formers say very lewd things to really get to her which would, would not be done today mm-hmm. Winona Ryder just felt that Gary Oldman was just very aggressive and over the top her and so I mean we'll bring her on I'm sure at some point yeah yeah she could speak for herself but I kind of got the impression that that maybe what you what you were just saying was right that she just she didn't feel like that she was able to really kind of be herself and perform and be in the moment with the way that Gary Oldman was 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 being. I mean, he was very intense. Well, it's, I, I, and I think that that I think that there must be something right about that because Winona Ryder reads and delivers her lines very well, but 
there is no sense of conversational context. She reads her lines and like she does quite well, but then Gary Oldman almost hams it up a lot of the time, you know? And view and 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 listeners, Max and I both love Gary Oldman. Yeah, absolutely. This is not a reflection on his career at all. No, but there, there's such a difference in the way the two of them are going about this romance that they're engaged in while poor Jonathan Harker is trapped with the Brides of Dracula. They're almost just talking past each other by, it's almost like a script read-through sometimes because yeah. this doesn't happen with any other character that Winona Ryder interacts with. When yeah. when we see her interact with her best friend Lucy Westerna or she has some very interesting conversations with Anthony Hopkins who, and this happens with other actors too, who give and take. Even even her interactions with Keanu Reeves seem, every, every other person that she interacts with, the, the reaction, the, the interaction seems human yes. rather than reading lines at each other. I, I, I think that hurts the romance that is very clearly described in the in the script. So it, it on this viewing, it, it was a marvel to me that it doesn't work really at all for me. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like that subconsciously I always noticed it, but I always just kind of chalked it up to, well, I, I don't like the fact they did it at all. But then I come back to it and I try to like, well, well engage with this film on its own terms. Stop, yeah. stop bringing your own bias to it. Does it do what it wants to do? And I say no. Now you just mentioned her interactions with uh, Lucy, um, and I and, and I don't know if you've had time to reflect on this since I said it last night. Sadie Frost as Lucy. Sadie Frost is my favorite performer in the film. Okay. Well, you, you said that last night, and I, audience, yeah. I have thought a lot about the lost conversation since it <laughs> vanished, and I I uh, at the end of the at the end of the last night, I hit end on the podcast, and I was just waiting for my prompt to say, "Would you like to save this to your computer?" And nothing got said and I was just like maybe tonight I'll finish the bottle of whiskey as well. I was <laughs> so devastated. I thought we had such a nice conversation about this film. Uh, so yes, I definitely thought a lot about that conversation. But this was this was the film that introduced the actress, right? Sadie. Yes. And she is a gem in this film and her relationship and interactions with Winona Ryder are for me more the emotional heart of the film than, than other things. I mean like she and Jonathan Harker exchange some letters but they don't quite gin up the the romance that I think we need from those two because there's a, there's a conflict that Winona Ryder has she feels bad about liking Dracula she she loves Jonathan but she's kind of conflicted right this this being of two time periods really since she's a reincarnated love right but but she and Lucy have this very pure and kind of wonderful friendship in the film and this was something I did mention last night that that Coppola brings from the book Lucy and uh, everybody in Victorian times is trying to be prim and proper and they're engaged in performative virtue a lot of times. But Lucy and Mina write very frankly to each other in the book and talk very frankly to each other in the movie about sex. There's even some hint that these two experiment with each other a little bit, that their friendship is quite deep. They try kissing with each other in a, in a scene with in, in a maze that somehow the Dracula is telepathically watching a little bit. Um, and again, we get some of these clever edits during these, these scenes of building Lucy with, with Sterna up because uh, she's quite important to the novel and, and to the drama of the book.
a question for you. Does the movie do justice to Lucy? Yes. I I, I um I don't know if I want to say that she's the best depicted character, but 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 as I said, I mean she, she does provide my favorite performance in the film, and and I guess that I want to say that you know, the reason that that is is that one of the one of the problems I have with the romance story in this movie is that this movie tries to depict two things simultaneously that don't really go together or I should rather say they, they could go together but the film doesn't doesn't combine them very well so listeners Lucy is has three suitors and this is the only Dracula movie that depicts all three of them Dr. Seward is one of them and Dr. Seward is always a more important character in the novel than he is in any of the movies but he, he's done pretty well here Arthur Holmwood who's kind of English nobility played by Carrie Elways and then uh, Quincy Morris who's a um, Texan almost cowboy figure I, I mean this is very much uh, Bram Stoker I believe was an Irish writer but but he this is definitely him writing you know American characters the way he would think of them he's got the got the cowboy hat and the duster and and uh, and a Bowie knife and he's he's very good in a fight but this is the only movie that I'm aware of where Quincy Morris is depicted as a character because in the novel there are these vampire hunters that are kind of like a little family and each you know each of these vampire hunters appear in different films and different combinations uh, this is the only film that depicts Morris so these three men they're rivals for Lucy's affection and she chooses Holmwood but Dr. Seward being a physician comes to see Lucy and this is, this is a wonderful scene he comes to her and he, he expresses his concern she's already chosen against him but he says you know I'm, I'm here as a friend and I'm concerned about you and Sadie Frost in in the best bit of acting I think in the film has this moment of this kind of lucid exchange where she says Jack help me I don't know what's wrong with me I, I'm not quoting this correctly or exactly but you know something's wrong and I, I don't know what to do and I need help and then she immediately shifts to kind of this kind of more playful manipulative person almost and, like the brides of Dracula yes and by the time by the time everything ends um she's almost seducing him and he and he's very susceptible to it yeah yeah which is very much from the book and by, by this point by this point in uh Lucy's journey as a character she's been Dracula when he comes to London attacks her first he picks her out because she is Mina's friend and he in in this story he has already targeted Mina as somebody who he wants to he wants to reunite with her he believes his he, he believes she's his wife and this scene now I'm gonna switch gears here to the to the motive of Dracula here his machinations are totally and utterly neglected by Francis Ford Coppola the movie The Lost Boys does this better okay. than, than Dracula does what I think we might surmise Dracula's motive for converting Lucy into a creature of the night is to have a lever to lure Mina into the night Lucy should have been like I, I get the sense that maybe Dracula wanted to convert her this is me reading into the script because Francis Ford Coppola say, said ah fuck it I'm not going to explain this there's no re there's no reason why Dracula should do this because it turns out that his plan was so inconceived it backfires and and has the effect of almost turning Mina against him and yes. so but in the Lost Boys the this band of vampires is trying to convert these two children of uh, in in the in in who've just moved to town into vampirism so that it will be easier for that film's Dracula to convert the woman he's come to quite like and we're going to be one big happy family oh yeah 
a great big blood sucking Brady bunch. But that's the motive that, I mean, that's what they should have explained because instead what it looks like has happened is that Dracula has very capriciously just tortured Lucy. That's what, that's what it looks like. Right. Yeah. Go well, on. Well, well, you just said that's what should have been explained. I see. I don't think the film even needed to explain it. It just needed to pick a narrative. Either Dracula is a very abusive, manipulative figure who, who his, his choice and his vampirism has so uh, corrupted him that he's making these decisions that actually are going to very much hurt the person that he loves. And the film could have leaned into that, or it could have leaned into him being this very tragic figure who is is, um, addicted to blood. And he he has, there are moments where the film does, does try to depict this. I'm not questioning that. But for the most part, Dracula has no doubts about anything that he's doing. And it's almost like the film tries to depict this addictive nature of vampirism and the because the addict is is manipulative the addict will do anything to get what it is that they want it's not i mean it's not that that's inaccurate it's that it's not done well because the film tries to do both it tries to give us this kind of addictive depiction which if if that had been all it had done it would have been brilliant yeah. but then at the same time you know to quote carl denham uh, the public god bless him must have a pretty face to look at we've got to have this romeo and juliet kind of romance story and i feel like that at some point in the production a choice should have been made to just really lean into one or the other well i mean i i think that that's a fair interpretation but i also think that that the film could have saved itself my criticism by just saying in the moment where mina will confront him about what he did to lucy he could have said well i was just trying to to make this life more appealing to you by bringing your friend in first you know he could have done that because there's no point there's no reason why Dracula had to attack her best friend first unless like you say he's a manipulative monster and he wants to take away everything that is around her that would have been an interesting choice but that would have made him evil and that's the Dracula that that you know from the novel that's the Dracula that emerges from the novel the evil monster but overhanging this film are two other films about Dracula that that Coppola has really drawn inspiration from one of them is a Jack Palance film and the other is a Frank Langella film about Dracula and both of those films uh, are, are kind of pioneer this romantic figure Dracula this tortured pretty not in, not in Palance's case but Palance is a very powerful vampire you wouldn't say he's gorgeous in the way of of Frank Langella or or Gary Oldman who are very pretty very uh, you easily see their seductive nature Palance's Dracula is a is a creature of power you know I mean he's yeah. he draws people because you're like oh that dude's like got to go on that guy he's got it together look at that look at that jawline but but so the so Coppola really wants to also it seem incorporate the Frank Langella Dracula the the pretty tortured soul and it doesn't land here because for me it doesn't land because he, he never does anything to justify what he's done to Lucy well uh, right but let me suggest something actually and this is just something that occurred to me from what you just described because I I agree with what you said now granted this would not have been from the book but if you're but if you're gonna go in this direction what about a scene if they had written a scene where Dracula finally reveals everything to Mina and instead of her just you know just quickly saying this is what she's always wanted which 
what ends up happening. What if there was this moment where he was like, it was all for you. I, I did that to lose. It was all for you. Yeah. And she initially reacts with horror. But then maybe that initial reaction finally gives way because her true motivations are much deeper because she's the reincarnation of his wife. Mm -hmm. it, it, if it had not been so done so easily where, where, where Mina, you know, is in love with Jonathan and her best friend has been destroyed, but it only takes seconds for her to say, this is what I want uh, when, when Dracula finally seduces her. This film, in terms of the romance, this film earns nothing. It, it, it does not, it does not earn anything. Yes, some of the, the scene I just described, not in the book, but at least that would have grounded the, 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 the flow of the character development. Absolutely, because, because you we, we've mentioned what happened. Lucy comes out very badly in this movie. She is, her case of, of sickness progresses so rapidly and so mysteriously that Seward has to contact the greatest mind of his era, the occultist and scientist, Dr. Abraham von Helsing, who's forgotten more about medicine than Dr. Seward will ever know. And he needs, he needs the expert consultant of the consulting doctor, uh, whose residences are right by another residence on Baker Street, I'm sure. But Lucy is destroyed by this. And, but not only is Lucy destroyed, Dracula's behavior towards Jonathan Harker, we'll find, has doomed him to a life of ever-changing hair color from the, the brightest white of a, of a frightened old, a frightened man back to gray and to black. It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing that was done to him, but that's something that he's going to have to deal with for at least the rest of this movie. And, and so by, by the time they, by the time Mina and Dracula have their, their spat in which she accuses him of, you know, look what you did to Lucy. And she's married to Jonathan by this point, I believe. Yes. And, and he offers no apology, no justification for the horror he's visited on London and on her friends. Right. And then she says something like, I love you. God help you. God help me. I love you. And he turns her, he begins to try and turn her into a, a vampire. I'm not Again, unearned. Unearned. And one of the things that I was shocked by in this scene is that like it is unearned, but Winona Ryder does, and, and Gary Oldman to his credit too, does a good job of seeming tortured during this scene. The power dynamic flips a little bit because Dracula has a moment of doubt. And he's like, no, I don't, I can't, I can't doom you to this life. It's the only, it's the only moment that the film actually does that, which is a nice character moment. It is. And Winona Ryder really takes control of the scene where she's now the seductor. She's now the true the yes. driver. And I mean, like what she does in here is it's very effective uh, acting. The, there's these he bites her, and then she has to lick the blood from her, suck the blood from his chest. And what the way she does this is it's very much a facsimile for another sexual act, right? And this is from the book, by the way. Yeah, and and it's and it's it's very well done. And I I just thought this was a very effective, very very erotic scene that works, even though the run up to it doesn't is doesn't justify what we get here. Yes. But it's a well acted scene, and we get to sort of see Dracula being tortured, but gratified that she's chosen this life. But it's all unearned, and and that's too bad because these two actually do have some nice. This is one of the few moments where they have great chemistry. This, this scene is is very good. It does lead to a nice kind of climax where the vampire hunters come in and interrupt it. Yes, yes, because at the same time while this is happening, the thing that has led Dracula to Mina's room is that the vampire hunters, thanks to the expert knowledge of Dr. Abraham 
Martin von Helsing, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, mostly to good effect. It's an imperfect performance as Van Helsing, I think. Well, but 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 he he is probably one of my more favorite Van Helsing. Absolutely. As I said in our initial conversation, he's no Hugh Jackman, but he does all right. And so, uh, but he knows how to destroy the sanctuary of the vampire. One of the things that Dracula has done is he's brought dirt from his homeland of Transylvania to London so that he can rest in dirt. His coffin is lined with Transylvanian dirt. There's something about the soil of where a vampire was created that that has to nurture them in, in the daytime when they sleep. Dracula beats feet away from his sanctuary in the form of, of this kind of a very cool effect of green mist and then he, he makes it over to Mina's room. At some point though, our heroes, our vampire hunters, uh, realize that Dracula has s- snuck off into the night and they have a good idea of where he's at and they find him with her when they this is a neat scene when they bust into the room they see Mina sort of in the throes of this ecstasy and there's blood all over her mouth but there's nobody with her right Dracula has vanished and that leads to the confrontation of Dracula in one of his more monstrous forms which I think is a fair I think this is actually a a very effective Dracula monster scene I uh, uh, Dracula in this movie does a lot of things that I think more are, are come more from the the hammer tradition and maybe even the EC comics tradition of vampires Dracula appears as a monstrous almost wolfman in several moments in this does this happen in the book does he make these appearances as a beast yes yes definitely but the, the only problem with what you said was her films specifically veered away from that mm. and and that was for that was for trademark reasons oh they were desperate to not have any similarities with the universal film they probably could have done it but they but there's a moment in the first i'm i mean this is a sideline but in horror of dracula which is the definitive hand films version of the stoker story with christopher lee and peter cushing peter cushing specifically says to holmwood because holmwood says well can't they turn into bats and things like that and he says that's a common misconception so so, so in the hammer films dracula cannot change into anything okay okay but that was done for, for copyright reasons and again copyright reasons about the universal film not the stoker novel which there are no copyrights about it so yeah. public domain so, so yeah so so that it, we have this fight between the heroes and it's mostly a fight of like kind of holy power versus the power of evil and van helsing brandishes a cross at dracula and dracula is not entirely deterred by this cross it hurts him a little bit you can tell and he tries to he uses some of his magic he sets the cross on fire but but van helsing is channeling the exorcist again the power of christ compels you and it's 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 straight from the exorcist which we'll talk about that in a minute they do drive dracula back and away from them with the power of this holy relic and i think this is this is one of the more effective horror scenes in the film where dracula retreats and he retreats in the shadow and his eyes have this this eldritch light to them right and our heroes are going to go try and finish this they're going to try and button this up and when they get there and they unveil the they they reveal the shadows that he's in with the bright light dracula disintegrates into this mass of rats yeah and i thought that was a very effective bit of horror like you know i recoiled from that as much as uh professor the elder professor jones would have recoiled from that but but all 
these it's a great effect and the rats just kind of like they're in the shape of a man and then they then their cohesiveness disintegrates and they all fall and run out oh it's a great scene it's a great scene and, and frightening because in this moment even though van helsing has kind of you know all the information that is needed to combat dracula there is this this realization that well you know how do you how do you put your hands around somebody who can become anything that is yeah. dumb and, and and evil and uh, it, that makes it more frightening absolutely and well and you mentioned that he he turns the cross on fire which i don't think is in the book yeah. be wrong about that but that's an effective scene because one of the things that i have always felt about van helsing and what's comforting about van helsing is van helsing understands dracula perfectly and even though despite his power that is a, a that is a great disadvantage to dracula because dracula there are certain things that he can't do like you know he can't enter a place without being invited he he is uh sunlight is does not work for him although in this film he can be in sunlight that that is actually a difference from the novel but um um he has certain weaknesses and the fact that van helsing knows those weaknesses means that he can he can exploit them and so dracula who usually is unbeatable van helsing is a unique threat to him yes yet in the scene where we see all the things that dracula can do and it does make one wonder well will even van helsing's knowledge be enough it's true it's true but also in this scene and i'm thinking of this now for the first time dracula retreats and leaves he's yes. he's a bit nervous about van helsing i think and that's, he, that's, that's he is he is afraid of van helsing yeah he tries to intimidate him by igniting the cross but it doesn't it doesn't none of that phases van helsing at all he tries to get people to step on the rats but some of the people i think only only the texan steps on a rat everybody else is a little afraid but and so from here though we get we get some really nice interactions between van helsing and mina and and we get some nice re revelation that mina's still conflicted when she's in dracula's presence she has a lot of trouble grabbing her rational mind and letting that that her irrational and her moral sensibilities lead the way the the power of their love is seems to be too too much for her and when they have a talk and this is lucy i'm sorry this is this is uh this is mina in her most lucid moment right now you know uh, and she recognizes the evil and the danger of dracula but she has an insight into van helsing too where she basically like you admire him and and van helsing admits this we've also learned earlier when van helsing realizes that it's dracula that it's maybe the most powerful vampire ever that this is the fight that he's waited for his entire life this is this was the this was his purpose right and it's in it's in that revelation and the kind of giddy emotions that he displays that i think that sometimes the van helsing character doesn't work in this movie like it's it's almost too frivolous it's almost too light he's almost he's almost comic relief at times now i think i will grant that even though i've always i've always liked hopkins performance but i have always felt i've told you this years ago that the van helsing dracula dichotomy the van helsing dracula relationship is really the central relationship of any really effective dracula adaptation well there van Hel abraham van helsing is one of the really interesting protagonist heroes like sherlock holmes uh in the history of literature and i like to see that celebrated and played out and what you're suggesting is that that's not really done here because he's not really taken seriously enough. No, no, it takes him a while to get the people on board with his case that they're dealing with a vampire. And he doesn't really get a moment to combat Dracula. He basically is becomes more of a field general here and he uses his powers of hypnosis to help him to use Mina to figure
figure out where Dracula is and what now he's that doing. now that's in the book, I believe. It's fine. It's fine. I don't mind any of that. But and, and and as you say, I actually quite like Anthony Hopkins in the role. But sometimes I think that they veer a little too much into comedic relief. Not overly much, but I know it was just something that I noticed, and I thought, well, oh gosh, I don't know if I if that if that if that works for me. This this these some of these flourishes. But I mean, Hopkins is giving it his all. He's his his performance is one of the better ones in the movie. Well, uh, so one of the things that was actually cut out from the original broadcast of this was my uh, justification for my praise of uh, one of the finest American actors of our time, the late Burt Reynolds. Uh, And uh, so to impress our friend Jason, I will mention that it only makes sense that uh, Abraham Van Helsing would be a a student of Franz Mesmer, who was uh, very much in the, the early era of psychology and kind of the kind of the pre-scientific psychology was very much in vogue and still would have been something that someone like Van Helsing would have uh, you know in terms of the hypnotism yeah. or mesmerism as it was referred to uh, at that time that that's something that he would that that Stoker put in there that they put into the film and I think that's all that's all good stuff yeah no I I, I actually like that I also like it that Dracula figures out what they're doing and he sort of leads them astray by feeding Mina's mind some false some false information it's actually very reminiscent of or rather what what uh, jk rowling does with the connection between uh harry potter and voldemort they have a psychic connection that both use against each other in the in in those novels i I would be curious to know if she didn't get that idea from the stoker novel we'll have her on sometime when when she gets uh, when, when 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 that's okay to do but but so by this point in the film, Van Helsing has demonstrated to his people that they are dealing with a vampire because they've had to kill Lucy. This is, this is the thing that has upset Mina so much is that Lucy gets turned into a vampire and Van Helsing and his friends and the vampire hunters ha- have had to kill her. And this yeah. is this brings up another part of the of, of, of one of the problems I started to have with the film on this viewing. Um, and I don't think I had the movie vocabulary in 92 to notice it, but like the, this film homages so many other films yes. that that if you if you've seen a lot of films you notice this if you're a high school kid maybe you didn't notice it right if you're a casual movie watcher maybe you didn't notice it but if if you're a person who's seen the exorcist or the hammer films or the murnau film you notice all of these things and like this was an egregious bit of homage when anthony hopkins does this twice in the movie where he basically channels uh, max von sydow's performance in the Exorcist, oh. and I, I, I think I said this last night. You could superimpose those lines over Cedow's lines, and you would almost have a perfect overlap. Right. You know, the power of Christ compels you. Yada yada yada. There's even a moment when they're killing Lucy, where she vomits out projectile vomit onto Anthony Hopkins, and it's and he 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 soldiers on to this scene in a very good way. But as as Max von Sydow did. Yeah. Oh, it's because if you recall, he doesn't react at all. He. Yeah. Can- the pr- right yeah absolutely absolutely no it's the same beat it's the same beat because it's the, it's you know it's 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 this it's, it's the same scene and when i saw that this time i was like oh that's too that's too close yeah it's too close it doesn't work for me because i there's a point where homaging too much becomes plagiarism where you begin to see the wizard of oz behind the curtain yeah um yeah and so i guess what i want to get to now 
I'm sorry, audience, this has to be an abbreviated version of this, of our, of our talk last night. I sort of want to jump to the conclusion because this is where the romance story fell apart for me. In this a big, late. No, not this late, but I mean, this is where <laughs> I noticed, this is where I noticed so much of what I didn't notice in 1992. Okay. Um, I said, I thought a lot of the story was there. I, I, I get the star-crossed lovers. I get the timeless romance. The power of love compels you, yada, yada, yada. What I don't get and what is never justified is, so our heroes are chasing Dracula and his men all across Transylvania. We get some great action beats. We see glorious sets and scenery, and this is all studio lot shit. But even though it is this fake world, somehow it is imbued with life by the really masterful storytelling and filmmaking that Coppola brings to this project. It's great. I know that they're running through sets. I know that we're seeing a miniature train, you know, barreling across Transylvania, but it all looks so good. And even knowing that it was a miniature, I could appreciate the quality of the miniature, the miniature boat that Dracula first begins his escape yes. from Transylvania, the miniature train. I, I just, I just thought it was glorious um, and very, a very wonderful way to, this was a wonderful way to homage classic filmmaking, not taking yeah. scenes directly from other movies, but by taking those techniques and creating something new. And he do, and Coppola yes. does that here. And it's also yeah. new because we've got all the vampire hunters from the novel pursuing Dracula. And this is all, it, the fights are all good stuff, but what doesn't, I, I want to commend the movie for giving Mina such a large role in be, and making her one of the heroes too right but but it doesn't justify it because she sees I think that the film needed to explain a little bit of how she came to realize her role in their quest to defeat Dracula right because they're about to kill Dracula they've rammed a sword through his chest they've thrown holy water on him Dracula is defeated and Mina comes barreling in with uh, I think Quincy one of Quincy's uh, lever action rifles beautiful looking gun and holds all of them off and they're trying to get her away because they think she's mind washed but or mind controlled here but she's ushering Dracula into the castle into safety mm -hmm. right and Jonathan Harker Keanu Reeves says stop everybody stop our work here is done now the real now her real work has to begin and I thought what kind of a fucking stolen base nonsense move is this because like it's not explained it's not justified there's no reason why Jonathan Harker thinks that there's, there's, there's some mystical moment about to happen here. But or, I, that this is a good, or that this is a good idea. Or that this is a good idea. Because Dracula in his last breath could finish the job and Mina could become the new... The new Lord of Empires. Or, yeah. or Mina could... This is one of the, 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 the follies of not finishing a job on a vampire. And that is like, all she had to do was pull the sword out of him and he would have supernaturally healed. Right. You know? And so nobody has any reason to trust Harker here like they should have pursued it oh certainly Van Helsing would have spoken up yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean unless of course he sees the unless he uh, unless of course he also sees this mystical stolen base as well and this is this is this is exactly the kind of moment for Jason's phrase stolen base but so I'm going to give I'm going to 
play a little devil's advocate and say what I think Coppola wanted us to get out of this. And that is that Mina Harker sees herself as Dracula's bride. She sees in herself that reincarnated life. And I think she sees, this is what I think Coppola wanted us to, this is where he wanted us to leap. I think she sees that woman's faith and piety in, and that she wouldn't want to see Dracula what he's become. And so that woman, that reincarnated self is coming to the fore a little bit to try and save Dracula from the the rash decision he made when he found her body. That's what I think we're supposed to get out of this. She's going to help Dracula lay down his quarrel. And had the film spent any time explaining that, I think that could have closed out this romantic arc in a way that was at least justified in what we had seen. I'm I'm having to do a lot of the work here to get us to this point, you know? And 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 I'm really reaching here, right? I mean, this is this is just me doing my best to justify what happens. But but so we so we get this kind of poignant end where where Mina finishes Dracula off and she gets him to she 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 gets God to forgive him basically, right? Yeah. And and I thought Winona Ryder's part of this acting was really good. I it wasn't very convinced by Gary Oldman's pieces of this scene, but even as good as Winona Ryder is in the scene, I just don't think it works because it's not justified. When I watched it this time, I was like, this doesn't this doesn't follow. I agree. Like, what do you think should have happened here? Given 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 what the given what the film has has said so far, I think. Well, I think the scene never should have been shot. No, I think that's right because to me, given what we've seen so far, the only way to save Mina is to kill Dracula. That will break his hold over her, and it won't bring. But but it won't bring back Lucy. No, nope. bring back anybody else. Look what this guy has done. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that his redemption is unearned because he's never seen. He never seems conflicted over anything that he's done in the film, except for one moment, which you pointed out, which was a fine moment. Yep. But I I. I'm in complete agreement. I like what you just said when you said, I ha- I'm doing too much work here, which for a bad film, we're kind of willing to do that. Like when we watch something like Masters of the Universe, we're willing to kind of like, you know, or, or Superman 4 or Su- uh, Supergirl or whatever. We're kind of willing to say, you know, I- I'm, I have to kind of pan for gold here. <laughs> We'll check the nugget we can get, even the smell. I I have to kind of look for the things that the film does well, and maybe I can find something. "Ah, You know, I kind of like that. This movie made by this fantastic filmmaker with this fantastic cast, with this fantastic production design, with this fantastic score, with these fantastic costumes, and, and tried to really give us a great adaptation and an accurate adaptation of a really great novel. What to 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 kind of channel you why are we doing this why do why do we have to try to justify all of the character arcs that's bullshit excuse me but it is it's not right well i i agree and that was that was where i came out on this now when i like i said in 92 when you're young you're kind of you're kind of receptive to all of these romantic notions right given the quality of every other aspect of this film it seems perverse that we should have to do this much work as viewers to justify 
what happens when it wouldn't have taken much in the script you know a few lines at most to justify what we see at the end we we could subjectively disagree with it if we you know you might have right but we don't i mean we could have got like some some moment where we're even mina by herself is like oh no 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 that's not why we're here that's not why i'm here she could have come up with something you know that would have justified at least to her why she was doing what she was doing it wouldn't have taken much given the the quality of talent on this film to to get us there in a neat way as opposed to just like just declaring that this is what's going to happen so to, to add to what you're saying what i would say because you know between the two of us i was the difficult audience originally in 1992 and 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 maybe now but i guess that now that i'm older i say okay i don't like the approach that you've taken but persuade me yeah make something that is so compelling that 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 it brings me in and not only did this film not bring me in it finally ended up shutting you out yes it did yeah right i mean no absolutely i mean i will i will probably watch this film again just for the visuals but i can no longer look away from its flaws and that shocked me on this viewing i didn't think i mean i thought i i went into this film thinking that you were hung up on a subjective problem which is which is justifiable i i wondered that too i mean yeah you know everybody has their own you know own positions on films and and sometimes one person's experience of a masterpiece is you know somebody else's you know experience of garbage um yes uh, yes totally and and so that's fine but i i I do notice one of the things that you and i have hit upon over the course of these podcasts is that you and i definitely have taken to heart the ian mckellen rule of a film is a film a book is a book you know and they can't they don't necessarily have to be the same and if you want that thing that you love it's still there and so sometimes we're going to try and do something different with the movie either for time or to 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 play with a new interpretation uh because some of the other things have been done to death and so i wondered if i wondered when we started this if you would get on board by thinking well they've done that well not realizing that oh he can't do that because they haven't done that well (laughs) yeah yeah Um, so I was the one who finally got pushed out of my ability to defend the movie. Yeah, as, I, as, as, a, as a as a as a cohesive piece. No, and 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 I I finally surrendered in my attempts to enjoy it because I never wanted to dislike the movie. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, because I, I do remember in high school you really adored Dracula. Uh, while Jason was reading the 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 very classic Dracula, I was reading a different version of Dracula by Stephen King called Salem's Lot, and uh, so I mean I think about the same time we were reading two of the great vampire novels of 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 western literature yeah and i read salem's lot much later uh and it it still amazes me how when we finally compared notes how we had such similar experiences but salem's lot is very much in the tradition of stoker yeah and, and you know there's not a lot of romance you know, you know vampires are more like a a, a, a public health problem exactly I mean, exactly exactly and that's that's sort of how van helsing treats the the problem here yes and so I don't know that there's anything else really to say. I, I'm sorry, audience, you miss out. You miss out on our, our great conversation from the other day. It was night. great, yeah. Now I, I will say there are there are we did hit some up some new things. Yeah. And so so I, I think that this was worth having the, the talk again and not just throwing up our hands and and uh, yeah, totally. So before we get to the verdict, I want to lay out what's happening next. This is going to come out before our podcast on the bad news bears, and we'll 
get back to the regular production, uh, the the, reg- the regular schedule, whatever we say after that will kind of be the norm. But Jason and I really like to give you guys a Halloween episode, and so and sadly we didn't we didn't do our, our, our we didn't give you our best effort this October. We'll do better next year. So what's going to happen now is I'm going to have Jason give his verdict. I'll give my verdict, and then I'm going to ask him for two or three of the best vampire movies you should see, uh, even though it'll be November. And uh, I'm putting him on the spot here. That's okay. Jason's got a mind that's that's agile in in terms of horror movies. We are students of this genre. And the verdict. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I, I actually, um, a, as has been said before, you know, during our discussion, I've never really liked this movie. I've never, I've never been able to bring myself to like this movie, and I've wanted to. And I know that a lot of people like it. Uh, to this day, people still praise it. I never have. Uh, every time I watch it, I want to see something in it i want to see something that will finally get me to engage with it and embrace the things about it that i do like and say that it's a good movie but every time i watch it i feel like that i dislike it more and i i kind of want to say to you all of you my friends out there that i hate the film i i don't really like it i in fact the only thing that makes me say that this film is mediocre is the the outstanding production design the outstanding costumes sound design and the film score and it's it's loyalty to the the stoker novel which is unparalleled but the things that that really ruin it which we have just discussed is that the narrative is absolutely snuffed out by the over attention to uh, paying homage to other films the the the, the over attention though effective to visual style and the lack of attention to taking the thematic elements that co wanted to capture from the screenplay that almost none of them are real. There are moments where the, the themes of vampirism as a public health problem, vampirism as addiction, vampirism as tragic love story. These things, these elements are all present. None of them work due to Francis Ford Coppola, forgive me, poor direction, poor, poor attention to, um, to the simple narrative beats of the movie. I do not recommend this movie. I, I I don't recommend this movie. And for those of you out there who have always thought that they love this movie, please rewatch it and, and, and come to me and join my cult. Uh, because, because like Dracula, I'm going to convert you all and I'm going to bring you all over to my side. Join me in awaiting the perfect Dracula movie, which has never been made. It's, it's hard to have anything to add to that because I actually, I, 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 I would probably pull back a bit from I hate the movie because it's hard for me to hate a film that is technically as superb as it is. I, I find the movie to be kind of a visual feast. It is uh, it is a million little things that are done perfectly that don't work together. And and that's just on the professional. That, that's just on the on the technical filmmaking aspects. And then there's the stumbles in the script and direction and eliciting performances that cause a narrative to cohere. And that doesn't work either. And so for me, I mean, it's this twin problem of like, like my God, because I because I, I think Coppola overdoes the trickery and the cleverness in in the in the filmmaking. But uh, so as a piece, it just doesn't work. I will say that I think you should watch it for its technical mastery. And and I would be curious to know anybody in the audience if you've seen it recently or if it's a favorite of yours, what you think of of it. But I can't recommend it as a good film. I can recommend it as a study in great ideas, not well executed, and that's where I'm going to 
land on my verdict. Now, Jason, give me your best vampire movies. This is a tough genre, people, because vampires are kind of silly. There are great films out there, but I want to know what Jason thinks are are the must-sees. You know, um, I I adore Fright Night. It's it's funny, it's exciting, it's scary, it's uh, uh, edge of your seat, hold your breath. It's it's charming, it has heart. I, I really much adore that movie. In terms of older vampire movies, some that come to mind, uh, there's a Hammer Films uh, vampire movie from the early 70s called The Vampire Circus that is, uh, I think, genuinely frightening. Uh, probably one of the most uh, effective Christopher Lee Hammer Dracula movies is Dracula's Risen from the Grave. It was the third from that series that, that has some neat little wrinkles in it that make it very interesting and I think effective. <sighs> Jack Palance? I, I I do very much enjoy the Jack Palance film. I, and actually, as Max mentioned, uh, listeners, the Jack Palance film from 1973, directed by uh, Dan Curtis, who was the creator of Dark Shadows, um, which was right about that time. And Dan Curtis, a very effective kind of TV horror filmmaker. I might have even wrote it, but it does, it, it, it's the original film to do the Mina as reincarnation version. And I, I, I do think that that's done more smoothly. It's the cinematography for a TV film will knock you out because it's so it looks so crisp. Uh, the cinematography was done by Oswald Morris, who was uh, actually a, a very much Hollywood cinematographer. But it, I mean, as a TV film, it's it looks like it could have been made in in, in 1995. It's it, it just looks really really good. I would say in terms of vampire films, those are some of my favorites. I think probably the the best vampire literature or art that I've ever I would say Bram Stoker's Dracula is what you should pick up or uh, or Salem's Lot by Stephen King or there was a Viewmaster you know for those who are old enough you know the Viewmasters were the little little discs with little uh, frames in them that you would you could click when you were a kid and you could and uh, there's a really wonderful um, kind of story of Dracula that's kind of done with little figures there are photographs of these little figures that, that that's actually very chilling I mean actually I I I like Interview with the Vampire. I always enjoyed that. Quite a different mythology, though. Quite a different mythology. And, and I guess that I will say to people, you know, if you're into vampires as being these kind of, kind of, I don't know, avant-garde, bohemian kind of misunderstood characters, which is very common these days, then you probably have watched all of those films because they're a dime a dozen. That's not my preference. I, I am very much in the Stoker camp and the Stephen King camp, where vampires are kind of, kind of like animals. They're kind of creatures that treat us like we are objects. And to me, that's what's frightening. And that's what I would, to this day, even though I may be swimming against the current, that is still my preference. Um, I, I like those suggestions. I'll offer a couple. Blade, one and two. Skip, skip three. Yeah. I want to I want I want to double down on Fright Night, though. I think that's such a good vampire movie. Oh, and Blade 2 is better than Blade 1. It's true. Shocking. Uh, it's one of those sequels that pulls that trick you know uh the lost boys is very yeah. much very much worth your time it's a very fun vampire film i think i think some people might think it's a little slow i like the pace of the film it's one of joel schumacher's up moments and so there's that i had one more in my head but it might have escaped me oh i'm gonna recommend the frank langella version of dracula i i like that a lot too it really I, gives us the most suave and sexy dracula that that film 
film has ever seen. I agree with that. Um, I would grant that. And I think those are great. I mean, you don't have to watch them on Halloween. You can watch them anytime. So I would I would definitely put those in your rotation and give them a try. So folks, that's all I got. That's all you got, Jason? Yep. All right. So share us on social media, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, uh, on the Instagrams. Text us to your friends and family, your confessors. You can reach me at The Supper Test on Twitter if you want to reach out and tell us how we're wrong or probably how Jason's wrong. And uh, <laughs> if you don't want to reach us there, you can try us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com. All the music at the beginning and end of each show is composed by me, except where it's not when we do a mute, when I put a movie score in there. But uh, but I think I'm using that in fair use, so don't, don't sue me, anybody. Folks, we'll look forward to seeing you when we return to our regularly scheduled programming and we'll pick up with the Bad News Bears. And uh, that's all we got tonight. We won't have to do a take three. If we do, it's just going to be and the verdict. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry, did did you just float to me?